All right, people, we're back for yet another episode of Talking Thrones. This time we're talking Season 5, Episode 6, entitled Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, famously named after House Martell's family words. It also seems to be a looming theme that overhangs this entire episode of that the characters are on a definitive course that they are not deviating from in any way, shape, or form. Pat, you ready for tonight's episode? Yeah, I definitely am, and you know, I think the Talking TV audience here you know, that's joining us in Talking Thrones is going to expect that, uh, you know, hey, it's... Unknown where the actual uh, Dorn storyline will go. Yeah, it, 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 I feel like that's some, that's a mystery that yeah. nobody would be able to figure out because the show itself didn't even want to figure it out. Yeah, All of the, years later, I'm just waiting. Still, for it. still figure it out. Still waiting. All of that and more on tonight's episode of Talking Thrones. Pat, so this is an episode that for the longest time I was dreading getting to because th this has gone down. This episode has gone down in history as being hailed as one of the worst, if not the worst, Game of Thrones episode ever, at least until the final couple episodes. And I got to say that probably the most surprising thing for me upon rewatching it was that I'm like, wow, this episode was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I personally thought the last two weeks of worth of episodes were a lot slower, a lot more trudging, a lot less action happened, a lot well, more Dom, obvious stupidity with the plot lines. Dom, anybody that's listened to the last two episodes, oh, they know. Um, they're probably no longer listeners because we've just been <laughs> complaining for two consecutive hours. Well, hey, that's what happens when you have a show. Well, hey, that's what happens when you have a mark drop in quality for your show when it's only the most hailed show of you know the last quarter century but yeah, yeah, yeah. why are we wait uh hate watching you know i, I guess it's like we hey man, people like love, it. love 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 a little exactly. hate it's and gotta then, equal out yeah. somewhere and hey the one thing that i will say the one thing that i have learned in my last couple of years of doing of doing this online is that look people love to hate watch stuff as much as they do like it i personally don't understand it because i don't want to watch something that i don't like but hey there are other people that get a kick out of it so you know what uh you know they, they, i guess they want to have their cake and eat it too by all yeah we should have skipped a couple episodes <laughs> You know, like just just like a quick recap at the end of one of these episodes. Well, look, like, like I said, when I all say right, we're, we're skipping. Doing, well, look, when I say we're doing a show where we recap every episode, we're going to do every episode. That means the good. That means the bad. And that means the ugly. So, hey, if we got to get guess, a little bit more, I guess critical you got to do we, what you got to do. Right. Indeed. Yeah. So I guess if that means that we got to get a little bit more critical now than we have been in the past. Well, so be it. So unbound, unbent, unbroken. This is a controversial episode for two big different reasons. Number one being that this is the one where we famously get the Dorn fight between Jamie Lannister and Braun and the Sand Stakes, and reason number two being that this is the episode that involves the infamous Sansa Ramsey controversial rape sequence. And Pat, I remember you told me something really interesting about this episode. When we, I feel like when we were first like marinating and talking about the idea of you know doing the show and whatnot, I was wondering if you could share that story with the audience uh, right now. Yeah, well, way to put me on the spot, Tom. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I watched the show. Uh, a bunch of us, just a group of my friends, we were doing dinner parties and going to each other's apartments uh, once a week and, and making, you know, like a potluck out of it. And I think this was like the episode that was like the beginning of the end of our potlucks uh, because it was it was just I think ruins potlucks like just a, just that then that, that rape seeds. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, the consensus, I guess, with from the group was just like it was completely unnecessary and like. The show had had really fallen to a point where, you know, it, it wasn't like this big spectacle anymore. And I think, you know, obviously life happens and, and you know, uh, situations change for a group of friends and it, it becomes maybe less sustainable to do a weekly party, you know, each season for the show. Um, but, you know, we, we continue to do potlucks and, and watch episodes of the show, but uh, probably not every single episode. Some episodes it was like, yeah, we're going to watch this one on our own tonight. Uh, so it was it's one of those things where, like, you know, I think that group of friends became less enthusiastic over the show. And, you know, maybe they sort of like binged a couple episodes in a row instead of just watching week to week. And so I think it was one of those things there it, it kind of definitely set a new tone for the story going forward. And, you know, from what I remember, it, it basically, yeah, it, it kind of diminished the spectacle of it all. Well, the biggest 
thing about it is the fact that, for a number of different reasons, number one, the fact that it seems to set Sansa's character development back so far. When we'd spent so long of seeing her just be tortured mercilessly nonstop in this one location, she finally gets away. She finally seems to be getting to a place where she's actually like starting to take a little bit more agency, starting to take a little bit more responsibility, starting to understand how the world works a little bit more, but also just, you know, finally getting away from a place where she's just kind of like treated like an object. And this just brings it right back to that. So that's reason number one. Reason number two being is that even though this sequence is sort of directly adapted from the books, like I said, this storyline is in the books. It's just they swap out, you know, they, they do what they did with Gendry a couple seasons ago where they use Sansa as the replacement for a different minor character that was not included in the show at all. We never actually see it. The whole thing is that, like, is that th we, because it's all from Theon's perspective, we overhear it in the background and we, like, are meant to perceive just how savage it is, which it, which it effectively makes it more horrifying in our minds, right? That idea of, you know, the thing that you can't see is scarier than the thing you can see. But here, they just put it on full display and full blast here, and that just, it, may, it makes it uncomfortable for many different reasons. And for, I guess, for people who may have, I mean, personally, I, I can't see how anybody would defend this sequence at all and just its presentation of it. But I guess the difference between this and, like, other sex scenes that happened before in the show is that this is really the first time that a sex scene happened in the show that just felt tasteless like there just felt like there was no reason for it at all and it kind of just really put a damper on and i mean if the show already didn't have a great trajectory at least this past season to begin with but this sequence just kind of put it dead just brought it dead stop to a halt you know and like i said it's um we're, we're we're deviating away from it a little bit but this episode also like i said outside of really that those two sequences i personally don't hate this episode it catches us up on all the storylines that we didn't get a chance to do last week last week we primarily primarily were at the wall and in marine this episode we spend more time we're in king's landing we're back in bravos in the house of black and white um what's it called you know we follow a little bit more so along with Tyrion and Jorah and we also get the you know we also get back to Dorne as well so then but then you have this sequence like I said it just it brings the action like dead to a halt and it's just one of those things that I go back and constantly question over and over again just why you know why the need to demonstrate this yeah uh, the only thing I'll really say is I think what they were thinking was this is going to cement Ramsey as the next big bad he has to be taken care of right away He's just such a terrible person. And, you know, I guess it, it does that. But at the right. same time, as, as, as like, if the torture, as if the mutilation and torture that he was doing over the last couple of seasons didn't already cement that enough. Exactly. So I, I think it's just another brutal act that Ramsey does that kind of puts it over the top. And it's meant to really get you in that uh, trajectory for Battle of the Bastards. You know, he's Ramsey is just like willing to do whatever it is. He's really sadistic. He is beyond what Joffrey ever was. And I think that's sort of, you know, what they're trying to do with this sequence to elevate him to sort of, you know, this this villain that must be stopped at all costs. And, you know, it's like you don't even want to watch a moment with him from this point on right. because he's so uh, villainous and so, so just disgusting. Um, so, you know, I think that maybe that's what the intention is, if I had to guess. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. Well, you know, I mean, it's, the it's, other it's problem not like the scene that I was begging for, you know, well, it's, obviously. It's, but the other problem too that happens. comes from it is I think the distinct difference also with, between Joffrey and Ramsey is the fact that I think that the, is that Joffrey always came off as like a petulant child so there was always an inherent unlikability to him as a character where even though yeah he was like so despicable and did all these horrible acts you could tell he was doing it from the placement of like a spoiled child that also happened to be like a little bit sociopathic so that's the other thing too Ramsey the difference being is that Ramsey is a full on adult and the fact that Ewan Rand does such a good job and brings such an inherent charm to that character despite how much of a sociopath he is I feel like Betty Off and Weiss felt, felt like they needed to do like extra work in order to cement, no, you real, you you thought Joffrey was bad. You really, really got to see how bad this guy is, you know. And it's just the problem if it's like, especially given the fact that like you know he seemed to be doing all this extra work in order to like you know try and appear courteous to Sansa, but then he does the thing with Theon Lessa. I don't know. I I personally feel like in a strange way, like less was needed in a strange way. I I think Ramsey having inherently, I I think this season is the season where he has the most screen time. Uh, since season three, and I think the the, the trouble comes from Ramsey having ultimately more screen time than is ultimately needed in order to sell just the despicable. Like to me, like you only needed like the intro episode with with uh you only needed the intro episode and then this episode if you're gonna if you're gonna do this and, and cement to it. I think a big problem comes from the fact that we ultimately spent too much time with him, him and his father, and them and 
and their planning versus Ramsey as a character really doesn't get that much page time in the book. He's ultimately more of a force rather than an actual character, you know, versus Joffrey, who's ultimately played up more like a character, which is what makes him that much more terrifying and that much more despicable because you don't spend that much time with him. Therefore, you don't get to know him and almost empathize with him as a character. And it also doesn't help that we got that whole tragic backstory from Roos in the last episode as well about how, you know, he, about how he, you know, in his younger days, you know, sired Ramsay on some poor farmer woman and then realized that he was his, you know, in order to like endear him to a character. It's really weird what they do with him constantly, where they're trying to make us in, where they almost, where they almost did too good of a job endearing us to him. And now they like, like got to double back and be like, oh, nope. Yeah. Hey, remember, you hate this character, bad guy, you know? Yeah. I, I think. With Roose Bolton, his storyline kind of is pushed to the side and, you know, it's all about Ramsey. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that is forgotten here is the fact that, you know, Ramsey doesn't know his place if, you know, Bruce has a uh, another child. Right. You right. know, he, he's going to become second in line. And, you know, that's something that weighs down on 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 Ramsey as a character. But that's not really an indication here that, you know, he has to basically marry Sansa have a child of his own or anything like that. It's it's it would be interesting like if if for some reason Ramsey felt like he needed to you know uh, expedite his you know relationship with Sansa and you know that's what leads to this moment. Like there's there's no real setup in terms of why this has to happen other than he's sadistic. But if it was tied into you know something to do with like you know, his father and, and competing with him or like, you know, something where it might just kind of fit this, the characters of the world. And just, this is something that the Boltons kind of like do partake in, uh, you know, another like level of their, uh, sadism, you know, that might be something that we can understand and see visualized on the screen. Other than that, it's just like, hey, we're going to show the audience this despicable scene and, you know, yeah, forever uh, assign evil dude to Ramsey. And, you know, was it necessary? I think I think what you said, like he already seemed to be bad guy. Right. So, you know, you're, you're basically just doing a gratuitous scene to add to that to make sure what everybody in the audience knew how bad he was right as if they i think, didn't I think everybody know. yeah everybody knew that so yeah not it, to mention it, the fact it makes it even more confusing because there's also so now you have a compounding emotion it would have been what if anything I, i'll almost double back on your point where it almost felt like him being sadistic was all the motivation that you needed but now you have okay you have this thing you know the, this back and forth you know him not knowing his place with his father and then you also have this love triangle thing that comes with Miranda so now it makes it even more confusing because now it rather than it being what it should be which is a very cut and dry example of no he's doing this because he's fucking sadistic and because he delights in you know hurting and torturing other people now you you're asking yourself you're like okay what is this coming from is this coming from like you know his need to exercise like his bolton you know the the the, the you know the the boltons have officially gained control over the starks and this is him showing that like is it having something to do with his father is it something to do with miranda we don't know what the hell so that just makes it even more confusing than just where the motivation comes from you know is he doing this you know for theon's sake more than sansa you know just to continue to torture theon we don't know like because then we ultimately know too much about him as a character now i don't think i've ever seen this before in any sort of fiction where obviously yeah the, the the thing that makes a good villain to me is the fact that you know a little bit about him but it's more so the fact of like you know they're more of a force to be reckoned with unless you're trying to set them up as this tragic figure you know which is not what they're trying to do with ramsey at all so if anything it's like i said they've almost humanized him to a fault if that makes any sense I, what i would say i'm just like thinking in my mind like how to make this a better storyline and you know it's it's Littlefinger has this plan, right? He's going to send Sansa to Winterfell. The Boltons are going to be removed and, and Stannis is going to find Sansa there and really restore the Starks and the Starks and Littlefinger are going to have this grand old alliance and solidify power in a large portion of the kingdom. You know, what if the Boltons knew that and, you know, part of the whole, uh, you know, wedding and, really Ramsey uh, assaulting Sansa, it had to do with the fact that we need to cement this marriage. We need to make sure that there's a, a Bolton heir that Sansa is going to give birth to. Like, this is the way that we solidify our power in the North. It, it, there's no like 
you know, clear struggle right. to the political landscape that we can see in this scene. It's it's right. just he is evil incarnate, and and I think that's it's lacking the depth yeah. of, of uh you know the, of storytelling that we want from a scene like this. You know, it's a horrific scene, but can you imagine if there was some you know uh, story weight behind it right. that really like oh my this is like it's complex, you know, and, and there's like reasoning, you know, what game of Thrones used to be. Yeah, exactly. Instead it's gratuitous. And, you know, I think that just leaves, uh, just a a bad taste in the mouth. Uh, You know, it's just like, okay, I didn't need that because it doesn't really add to the story. It just, Oh yeah, sure. it, It happened in, you know, lesser times, uh, you know, in humanity, but like the fact is this is entertainment you know it's all about the story and it should be story and character driven and there should be some layers and and themes and and things that we really can connect to and this is a scene that doesn't really open us up for connection it basically shuts us down and says you know i didn't need to see that yeah to me the only the only thing that it serves is just in order to get sansa to motivate john to do the battle of the bastards which is crazy to me because it's like John shouldn't need any extra outside motivation from Sansa to, to, to participate in Battle of the Bastards. And, and that may be a criticism best saved for season six rather than this season. But that to me was always just really confusing where it's like Sansa is the one with the beef with uh, Ramsey, right? It's th- This is not like a Stannis situation where you have Stannis marching against the Boltons and wanted to take them back so that he can you know, claim the ancestral ancestral seat of Winterfell and gain the alliance of the North. You know, again, a much more tactical reasoning. You know, instead you have, like, an, a more emotional reasoning behind it, which, again, is not really what Game of Thrones has been about up to this point. So, the, and, and, and that's just kind of where the source of my confusion comes from as well. Um, what's it called, you know, especially having now seen not only the scene in the moment, but also, you know, what comes directly as a result of the scene. Because we know that, again, Game of Thrones is a show that is still about cause and effect, even at its more weaker points. But I guess this just goes to show, like, you know, what a weak cause and effect is, you know, versus something that is actually, you know, inherently placed for the purpose of moving the story forward. And this was just not it. And again, it shows because in the books, th- th- this is another instance where I'll say the books did it better. Because in the books, this was not a thing that pushed the story forward. This was a thing that was happening in the background, you know, that one of our characters was having to deal with you know this was not a, th- a deliberately placed event that was supposed to push the story forward so i'm glad that you mentioned little finger because in that case we can kind of shift away from this you know i feel like we've talked about it enough we don't really need to talk about this sequence that much more there's really not that much more to talk about aside from more of the continuation of the dumb miranda sansa ramsey love triangle which thank god that's resolved with really quickly and they don't spend that much more time with it than they really need to which is um the, the king's landing like so we're, we're back in king's landing this episode we took a break from it last episode <laughs> Uh, do you want to take this? Because, I mean, I, I don't know where to start first. L- 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 well, the only thing I'm going to say is uh, Littlefinger has a zinger of a line. Oh, where my God. He's met by uh, Lancel at, at the gates, you know, and Littlefinger's like, what? I'm here to see the Queen Mother because queen she mother. sent for me. She summoned me. And Lancel's like, things have changed in this town. And what, yada, yada, yada. And for the most part, you know, Littlefinger just kind of, says hey listen we're both peddling fantasies but at least mine are entertaining that was fun that was yeah that was a great line that was awesome it's you know great that uh littlefinger is backing king's landing and the fact is like you know he's made his money and now he has a different source of income a different you know level of power and so you know i think that's the great part about his character is that in the earlier seasons, you know, uh, you know, basically before season four, before the Joffrey wedding, you know, he is this business owner that is dealing in vices and making his money and really, you know, working at growing his power. But now his transformation is, you know, fully complete. He is a lord, you know, someone that can travel around the realm and really sustain himself and have this power. And when he's confronted over these uh, bordellos in King's Landing, it's like, I don't make my money that way anymore. Right. You know, and if he, even if he did, it's like, you know, he's just taxing the people that run those uh, establishments. Like, he's not someone that, you know, has to roll up his sleeves and, you know, run those establishments anymore. He is something much bigger. And I think it, it subtly says that in this scene and in this interaction between uh, Lancel and himself. And so I think that is 
really a fantastic moment here that, you know, it's very short, it's very sweet, uh, but it really says a lot about the character and where he's come these last few seasons. Yeah, Littlefinger has ascended the social ladder tremendously. And the, the biggest thing that I had here is just Littlefinger just running circles around Cersei, who was too busy trying to stick it to the Tyrells, that she doesn't realize just how stupid it is putting all of her faith in Littlefinger. Like, this, this, this the, the, her scene with Littlefinger and then her scene with Olena are just the ultimate, like, kind of breaking down the walls of Cersei's intelligence. Just, like, Cersei has no idea what she's doing. Like, she's putting all of this faith in Littlefinger. You know, she's thinking that she's completely got one up on Olena when Olena is rightfully pointing out it's like <coughs> you all of a sudden have no more need for our crops for our troops for our supplies that we're providing you know we are allies in this but you know the the street goes both ways which is that if you you know but deliberately have one of our family members in prison then you know we, we're not gonna continue to supplant this alliance and Cersei is like oh Oh, uh, she's still playing dumb. She's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the faith militant. You know, I'll make sure that, you know, everything is set right, whatever, whatever. But the, the thing that had me <laughs> chuckling, the thing that had me chuckling laughing is when Littlefinger tells her, like, yes, through my sources, I've learned that Sansa has returned to Winterfell. And I'm like, if, if I'm Cersei Lannister, right, my first question would be like, oh, how did you how, how did you come to find this information out? And if he says through his sources, again, Cersei is a character who just not even two seasons ago was willing to have Littlefinger killed for like even an, a whiff of like potential treachery, you know? And she t and he tells her this, and she's not even gonna bat an eye about how he's come to find this out. And she's not even gonna suspect him a little bit. And then and then on top of that, he's like, "Oh well, just so you know, you know, don't don't worry, I'm gonna do you this solid, you know. You're 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 too far from King's Landing, you know. I'm like I've learned also that Stannis Baratheon is gonna wage war with the Boltons, you know. So she's like, okay, so you're gonna bring the Knights of the Vale." Bring them, head, take them north, and you're going to beat whoever the victor is. It's like, okay, first of all, fat chance of that because there's no way in hell the Knights of the Vale have more soldiers than the Boltons and or Stannis' army. And two, it's like, so you're going to also, you know, take down your one, one, another potential set of allies who, unlike Littlefinger, have actually proven to be underside. It's just the levels of stupidity that are in this episode. It just, it, it, it makes me laugh every single time. And then you also have this whole mock trial thing, which is just, hilarious because like you have loris vehemently denying uh you know all this and then they bring in oliver who is a little snake also but I'm, I'm also just thinking to myself i'm like wouldn't it i'm like doesn't that incriminate you if you're testifying against loris because you know obviously we know that the faith militant looks down upon all homosexual acts so you incriminate well, yourself they, as Loris' lover they, like they offered him a deal, clearly. This is like a, a well, shame know, of a but, trial. But well, obviously, the, the, but I'm just thinking lo like logistically like for, for within the world that we're taking place, you know? Yeah, I, I think you know what's good about this sequence and the trial is that it's exactly what Tywin would not have put up with. Some sham trial by some religious fanatics where, you know, oh, a, a birthmark high on his thigh is evidence enough? Like, you know, listen, it's anyone could have uh, basically passed that information around. Right. You know, Marjorie could have mentioned it. Elena could have mentioned it. Anybody could have mentioned this. And then, you know, here you, you have someone who works in a, a in bordello just like, you know, mention it uh, as if he's intimate with Loris. You know? right. So, like, obviously, we, the viewers, understand what's going on in Loris's bed. But the fact is, you know, in terms of a, a real trial, what evidence is it some hearsay uh, from just one person whose job it is to uh, really just kind of do what he's told, uh, you know, so like it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's uh, Loris's word versus this guy's word. And, right. you know, it it's, you know, whatever it's 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 should be warning sign number one for Cersei that they're just sort of making things up as they go along. You know, it, the evidence is not quite, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, even empirical. It's just sort of just like, you know, you can't necessarily source it to exactly what, you know, it, it being true or not. Well, it's and super so flimsy. And on top of that, like, this is also kind of like balls also in the Tyrell's court as well, because not only does this give them the impetus to arrest Marjorie, where it's like, okay, so Marjorie also knew about Loris's homosexuality and your proof of this is about as stable as you know this whole tattoo business but also the fact yeah, that she, now, she walked walked in on them that, right, that's so all, all he says walked like in on them okay and then, so, 
sure, but like you know, uh, Bill Clinton could have went through the multiverse portal and showed up, and, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like it, it's like you, I could say anything, and the faith militant is gonna like start grabbing people and throwing them in the prison. Yeah, and it, then on it doesn't top mean that, it's true. You mean to tell me that now both of Olena's heirs have been arrested. You have Loris, the heir to Highgarden, and Marjorie, the queen. Not that, no, no, no other, like, she is married to Tom, and who is the king, she is the queen, have both been arrested, and she doesn't immediately bring the Tyrell soldiers and army into the city. Like, they have to wait until all the way into next season in order to do that. That That's all, I'm, like I said, as much as I love Olena Tyrell, that was a little bit where it's like, oh, man, although she does get off some incredible one lighters but the, the first one being when she rolls out her window after they've stopped outside the city, she's like, oh, my God, you can smell the shit five miles from here. And then, <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely a great moment oh, uh, so in this episode. I, I just think, you know, Elena has soldiers. She probably would have been uh, brought more than needed uh, because, you know, you got word that your uh, son, you know, or, or yeah. their son, right? Right. You know, yeah, well, yeah, well, grandson. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, again, grandson. So, Loris doesn't have his two older brothers like he does in the book. Loris is effectively the heir to Highgarden. So, yeah. So, like, you know, she knows how crucial this is and, and she would not mess around. She would bring uh, a contingent of soldiers to really be able to take care of business. And, you know, if, if Cersei's not willing to, you know, basically she's going to supply weapons to the High Sparrow and, and really uh, allow for this type of, uh, you know, uh, uh, violence or, or whatever you want to call it, like uh, false trials, whatever. You know, Lena could just come in and basically bash their skulls in, so to speak, you know, just to yeah. put it bluntly. And, you know, it, it's like, what's stopping her? You know, why are like are the Night's Watch or not the Night's Watch? Geez, they, they're going to come, come down from the wall. Yeah, come down. But uh, what should we call it? The, uh, the King's yeah, the, Guard? The, the, or, yeah, yeah you know. the, uh, the what's it called? The, 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 Knights, the Knights of the Reach, you know, I guess if you want to yeah, call them. Yeah, so, so like, they're not going to necessarily stop them because they're at odds with the, the High Sparrow, too. Like, I, I think it's like Cersei's command over everybody in King's Landing in terms of letting this happen. Like, you know almost anyone with a brain is going to know that this is like a terrible idea. And I, you know, it's, I don't know if they really pull off like everyone's in fear of Cersei. It's just like Cersei's pulling these strings and like no one is stopping her. Right. And it, it seems like a little I guess if only anything easy. that it may just be because there is no one to stop her effectively, right? Olena hasn't been in the city. Kevin left the city. Jamie's not here. You know, they're literally really, you know, Mace Tyrell has been sent away on business. There really isn't anyone in the city to be able to stop her, at least at this point. It's not until next season when Kevin and Olena have both officially taken control of the of the of of the small council and effectively removed her from power that you know she finally starts to receive some oversight. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, so. It definitely is, you know, one of those storylines where we're basically just marching into you know uh Cersei setting up her own demise, her own punishment. And you know, again, we talked about it where it's, you know, it happens, you know, it basically keeps them busy and, you know, it's, it's just not necessarily as strong of a path as it could be uh, just because, you know, like, listen, I, I just feel like Elena could very easily any moment, like I said, bring those soldiers in, stop this trial. Maybe there's a, a little bit of a, you know, uh, tension between Cersei and Olena and, and like maybe that kind of sparks war but like why would they let these religious fanatics uh, you know really just continue to grow like it, it would become a bigger dispute between the two sides you know Lannister versus Tyrell right absolutely 100% I don't know it's dumb and we'll spend more time with it in the next couple of weeks as, as yeah, we get closer like, like, closer to the, the end pay, of season six. The payoffs are cool. Like, I, you know, everyone remembers the whole shame episode and everyone remembers the the explosion at the Citadel. You know, so the, like those are, are big moments for the show. And, you know, I, you know, it's going to come down to if you believe the ends justify the means because those moments are, you know, something that hits in the show uh, and that you can enjoy those moments. Uh, but it's like the buildup is just a little chaotic uh, in getting us there. 
100%. Yeah, so let's move on to some more interesting plot lines we have. We got three more plot lines. So first one first that I want to hit. The House of Black and White. We did we would we surprisingly have spent a lot less time on this storyline than I thought we were going to this season. And I think that's definitely helped this storyline, at least for this season, a lot more than I thought, which is that we're still at the point where this storyline is pretty interesting. We still don't know exactly a whole lot about the house we oh, and, and and you know how it's operating. You know, Arya's very progressively being brought into, you know, the order and the way that things work. You know, she she had, you know, the whole runaround of being first brought into the house in the second episode and the third episode where she was just kind of doing janitor duties. And now she's been cleaning the bodies for a while. But now you're starting to see her get to a point where, you know, uh, what's it called? The Waif is starting to, you know, tell her lies, you know, some very, very convincing ones, too, and start to play, you know, the game of faces. And, uh, you know, Jacken is starting to... Um, What's it called? Explain some more stuff to her. It's all pretty intriguing. It's pretty cool. I like the music. Again, I, I still love, like, the setup. This is still the point where the House of Black and White, you know, it looks really, really cool, you know? And I think that the big takeaway from this sequence is just how Arya is going to learn exactly what the key to being a faceless man is, which is not necessarily that she has to, like, change her entire identity in order to become no one, right? Because that's kind of, you know, part of the whole construction of the faceless man, but more so just a matter of she just needs to take bits and pieces of her life and mix and intermingle them and turn them into a story that she can use to her advantage, right? Because that's the, that, that, it's the whole premise around, like, how the faceless men are able to detect lying. It's not necessarily that you're making something up completely. It's that you're telling it almost 100% cl as close to the truth as possible. But it's trying to catch that one little thing in there that's not true. You know, it's almost like, you know, those two, that two truths and a lie kind of game, you know? And, and so the, the kind of the presentation of that I still think is actually really, really fascinating and interesting. I don't know. What about you? What do you think? No, I, I totally agree. Like this is one of those storylines where it's like, oh, this is, you know, the the less you know, the better. Like you know, you're just being sort of brought in slowly to the world, and you know, we obviously got introduced to this way back in season two and three, and you know, it's kind of been simmering on the back burner for a while. Now we're starting to to really dive into it and, and get these details, and they're giving it to us very slow. You know, we're we're just basically. Uh, you know, she the first episode of the season, right? You know, she arrives in Bravos, and you know, it's like she's really dismissed and has to go spend a day, you know, in Bravos, and then eventually, you know, it turns out uh, that the man that you know pushed her away is actually who she's looking for, you know, and, and like boom, you know, it's this weird mystery, and we're kind of welcome to spend some time going down that road and really slowly understanding what this is about. And I, I feel like it's a nice slow burn. Uh, and, you know, every episode that we see this in this season is just a little bit of the puzzle, you know, just like you're not really given much. You're just given enough to kind of remain interested. Um, you know, just like she starts cleaning the bodies and it's like, why am I cleaning these bodies? You got to tell me, you know, and, and so it's it's there's just an atmosphere in this uh, storyline that, you know, allows us to sort of, you know, uh, take, take what we see and, and try to, as best we can understand what's going on. And then you're just going to wait till the next uh, sequence. Yeah. 100%. I, I, I particularly like the moment where the waifu, like I said, I am famously not a fan of as a character. I, I, I think that it's, all credit in the world goes to that actress. I think her name is Faye Marseille. And the, the story that she tells where she tells like that whole story, and, and, and it's really convincing and it's really, really compelling. Uh, and then and then at the last minute, she pulls it back and is like, oh, was that a truth or was that a lie? I, I, I love little bits and moments like that. I thought that was really cool. And I like how, you know, you kind of like have like, you know, the right, the, you know, the, the right of passage moment where Arya has to, you know, console the little girl who's clearly dying into drinking from the pool of water. And like how she's able to so convincingly say that, you know, gives Jack in the ammo in order to show her the whole of faces. And I, again, it's like I think that all that stuff is really, really massively done. It's like, man, I guess just the fact of it's like. It's one of those storylines, very similar to Tyrion's, where I'm like, oh, okay. So this is one of those storylines where it wasn't the setup that was dumb. It was It's weird, because the more and more that I see as we go on between seasons five and six, I'm realizing now that my problem is not necessarily with the entire arc across the two seasons in general, but more so it's kind of a pick-and-choose-your-own thing. Like, you know, Winterfell and everything, that's a problem this season. You know, Daenerys and Meereen, that's more so a problem this season. You know, but Arya... Tyrion and stuff like that that more so are problems that I'm that I probably don't start to notice until next season because for right now I'm enjoying everything that I'm seeing at least with those two storylines you know 
Speaking of which, fast forwarding over to Tyrion, we get a little bit of a continuation of last week. You know, Tyrion and Jorah after surviving the encounter with <laughs> yeah, the Stone Men. You're just trying to get past that storyline, so I don't mention the clams and the cockles. And, well, well, well you know, we haven't gotten to it yet. We haven't gotten to it yeah, yet. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, I, I just every episode of this podcast, I just have to mention like how oh, much I do. do not want to get to that episode. <laughs> it, it's like you know, Watch it's like the is, next episode now. Yeah, it's it's pretty much it's it's always like, is it the next episode? Like, we're, so cl- we're so we're so close. We're so close. Like the only thing I could hope is that they basically have edited it out of the show uh, and not told anybody, and then it just never <laughs> appears. Like that's my only hope, you know. And when I tune into the the next episode, you know, before we do the next, uh, you know, uh, podcast, it, essentially it's like, please just re-edit this. Before we get to that point, but I guess you know, hey, whatever, you know, let's move, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Maybe, maybe my hatred of that line is a little too, too, uh, too much. We we shall see. But look, so we get another continuation. Like I said, it's, a, it's another brief moment with Tyrion and Jorah, but it, it, it's still just as much fun. You know, the, it, it's more of conversation based. They're walking along Valyria, you know, the Valyrian Peninsula as they're getting to Bere. I can just imagine it's like, yeah, they're on Valyria, which is still pretty damn far from here, right? So is that Tyrion's just like, oh, what are we gonna walk the entire way? He's like, yeah, we kind of have no choice. And so you know, they're starting to break down some more of the semantics of like, you know, Tyrion's motive, you know, Tyrion figuring out Jorah's motivation. It's like, okay, so so you do this, you do this, 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 and this. You know, you get to West. You rule. What then? You know, how do you expect somebody who, you know, has no experience with ruling to learn how to rule? You know, again, just getting into the idea of, of you know, more so setting up that Tyrion is going to be Daenerys's right hand going forward. Um, it, it, it's a little bit more ham-fisted just given, you know, how obvious it is and just given, obviously, we where we know um, it goes. But I did think that it was it was pretty funny how when we actually get to the bit where they get caught by the slavers. Did you catch uh, did you catch the cameo there from uh, from Anabisi or from Oz or uh, Echo <laughs> from Lost? Yeah, well, I know him from the Oz days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I knew I, I knew he was in Lost, but I, I never really got past the uh, button pressing. Uh, you know, well, it's I ironic because that, that the button pressing season was the season where he joined. So yeah, I know, I know. I saw him in a couple episodes, but I I just you know couldn't uh, basically get over like like basically uh, someone I know was watching the show, and I just happened to stumble upon them and and sat down and started watching a couple episodes, and it was like all about this like oh button button button. we gotta push the button yeah oh, and man. so let, let's just would say it be that crazy would, if i told you that that was one of the better seasons of the show uh it would be because <laughs> i i basically i basically watched like a few episodes of them just you know uh kvetching about this button and we i have was to just push like the button. why do we have to push the button that literally was I'm a, out. That, that that man that was the power of network tv back in the day where you could literally stretch an entire storyline over 24 episodes over whether you're gonna push a fucking button or not yeah yeah it's it's way too many episodes uh that was uh david uh linoff right yeah that lindelof yeah lindelof yeah yeah sorry about that but uh you know basically yeah he does the leftovers which uh, is definitely one of my favorite shows. Yeah, Leftovers uh, and, is fucking you know, great from what I saw when I was watching it a little bit yeah, last year. Yeah, so, like, Lost just, I guess it, it was Lost on me, but, you know, the main <laughs> thing is... Not the first is, one of those jokes that has been made. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, hey, listen, you know, not everybody can be a fan of everything, right? You know, there, yeah. there's... I didn't stick around and hate watch it, so I, I just, you know... Well, the one thing I will say is that the last couple seasons, while they are certainly, like, all over the place, they are certainly entertaining, to say the least. I will say that. Yeah, I, I you know, I wouldn't doubt, you know, just based on, you know, uh, the other shows that, you know, uh, this creator went on and did, like, that there aren't cool things about Lost. Like, I, I will... Uh, trust on on faith of of just the other work that I've seen that he's done that I've enjoyed that you know he he knew he knew what he was doing um, to a certain degree. It, it's just that the whole I think twenty four was it twenty it was it twenty five episodes? episodes in the first season twenty four and twenty three in the next two. Yeah, I, th- I think the the long series the long Way series orders uh, of TV shows you know uh, definitely weighs on you at at some point and and like at, at this point. The shorter the series, the better. Like, you know, I, I think growing up, it was always like the BBC sh- shows that yep. were like, you know, five, six episodes, yep. a series that was like, oh, yeah, this is a nice, you know, length for a story. Uh, I, I th- I've always liked that. And, you know, uh, television, you know, in, you know, mainstream television in the U.S. at least uh, has always been, you know, throughout my life, like 24 episodes. 
Uh, and it's just a lot, you know, it, it, maybe when it was week to week and in, in syndication and you didn't, didn't really watch every episode, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, six months goes by and you watch the next episode of Star Trek and you're like, oh, I've never seen this one before. Uh, you know, TNG I'm talking about or, or Voyager, not not the original series. But like, you know, it's it, like, it's, right, you're not that old. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, but the, ma- the main thing is like, you know, once streaming and once access, like even DVDs, like access to the DVD series where you can just get all the episodes and watch them back to back to back to back. Uh, you know, just slogging through 20 episodes plus, uh, just became hard. And, and, you know, I think Game of Thrones, you know, having 10 episodes per season, it definitely was a good, you know, amount to, to give to us and, and allow us to watch week to week. And I think, you know, towards the end of the series, you know, my, my theory is that the pacing really changes because it becomes a more binge heavy show. Um, so, you know, anyway, uh, all that because we have a cameo, <laughs> you know, uh, from, from an awesome actor. I, yeah. I, from I, a great actor. I, I, I don't remember his name, unfortunately. His name is, and I am probably the only person on the entire planet earth that both knows this guy's full name and tries his best to pronounce it properly. Every time his name is Adewale Akinye Agbaye. That is his name. I, awesome. I have spent years trying to get it i am probably the only person on planet earth that knows his name and attempts to pronounce it properly but yeah it does, a, it does provide for anytime a funny i moments. yeah anytime i recognize him in something i'm just like yeah that's that's the guy that's yeah, added, awesome. you know uh at yeah, a bc and it's yeah. it's just like you know he he yeah, he's just a, a good actor. Yeah, he's know? so I, awesome. He's so intense, but he's so cool and everything that he does. I remember that. I think the first thing I ever saw him in was he. I, he was um he he was one of the guys in um in in the first uh in, in the first GI Joe live action movie with Channing Tatum. I think this is the first thing that I remember seeing him in. That should give you guys an indication as to how old I am. But I was twelve when that movie came out. But uh yeah, the big thing for me about this storyline is it's just funny. You know, again, it's like you know the brief moment where it's like you know we we could probably sell sell that guy. You know, cut off the you know cut off the dwarf's cock it's good again just more more good more dwarf jokes and expenses at his expense and he's just like well how do you and i love the line that Tyrion comes up with in order to protect himself where he's like how do you know that it would be a dwarf's cock and it's like a dwarf's cock is dwarf size he's like yes again he's like that's not how that works i thought yeah, that was pretty see. i thought that was pretty good but um this is sort of a sign you know uh, i watched this youtube video i forgot which channel it comes from so uh you know, if, if the person ever stumbles upon our podcast and is like, oh, damn, you didn't give me credit. I, I apologize. But uh, basically they were saying, th- you know, they were talking about the end of the show, Game of Thrones, and, and why it kind of fell apart. And it's because Tyrion, uh, one of the best and in, most intelligent characters, basically spends the rest of the series involved in these scenes. Yeah, it's it's all around that particular word, right? You know, uh and it's you know it's no different here, right? They're they're trying to sell his private parts, and you know it's basically every scene from like this point to the end of the series, you know, is almost involved around him just being foul mouthed and uh, you know mentioning this. Um, and so it's one of those things where like now that I've watched that video on YouTube. Uh, I can't unsee the point that this person was making, yeah. um, you know, so I kind of wish I knew what channel that was because, yeah. you know, hey, I, yeah. I was, it, I was it, it's video, more but, of a just whatever. a setup. It's a transition scene. It gets it, it gets you from point A to point B. It shows Tyrion's, you know, it's salesmanship where he's able to pitch to the slavers that Jorah is a worthy fighter. And he's just like, I love the scene where Adebisi looks up and he's just like, him. Hey, he must be 60 years old. I just wanted the yeah, Glenn to crack a thing where it's like, I'm, I'm not that old. He's like, I'm only 50. And then Tyrion's like, sure, he may be a little bit longer than and he's like but he is a great he's like he's a great westerosi fighter he's like there have been songs saying about him and then he gives the story about the Dolph, killing the dothraki screamer you know little throwback to season one and i'm like no don't make us remember when the show was actually good you know so <laughs> don't make us do that but yeah that, that, like i said it's a small scene it's a brief scene the only other big takeaway from this is obviously jorah learning about his father's death i thought that scene was pretty good where i, I also just would love to know i'm like this is also the moment where it's like okay so westeros just starts to become like a 24-hour news cycle where somehow everybody knows about what's going on across the world you know where he is remember in the earlier seasons 
of the show, it was all about, you know, you would usually have to wait until, like, the next episode for a character to receive a letter where they were informed about, you know, events, you know, where it took, like, a full episode for the Red Wedding to get around. And now everyone just magically knows about everything that's going on. Where it's like, okay, so Tyrion has known about Gior Mormont's death for two seasons now, you know? But this, but because he's finally coming across a character where it's actually, you know, relevant towards, he, like, just happened to tell them. And it's like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, don't know how you found this out, but cool. You know, everyone just knows everything now, you know? And now, of course, we get to, strangely enough, probably, like, again, it, it's so weird because this scene has both become so overhyped and yet so deserving of all the hate that it gets. Because I think the worst thing about the Dorn fight that happens is the choreography. It's really badly choreographed, you know? And, like, obviously, this is from a, sh this is from a show with a show's budget. But, like, even by Game of Thrones standards, it's like, we've gotten better fights than this, you know? So, like, um, I don't know. Like, Yeah, I think, I think in terms of, like, Jamie, it, it's basically he's just kind of standing there. Uh, getting hit with his metal right. arm, and he's always backing up, and, and that's it. They don't really right. do. Bron has to do a majority. Bron has to do a majority of the fighting, and once again, Bron steals every single scene that he's in because that's just what Bron does now. And Bron is just like I when, when Bron just says, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" As soon as he sees the the the, the sad things, that that kills me every single time. And especially since it starts that little weird micro thing that he has with um what what what's her name with a uh, with tyene the youngest one you know the, yeah. the one who yeah it, it's just it's really weird it's so strange i mean it, it's it's cool seeing like uh jamie be reunited with marcella um and, and all but well, then, then... Uh, what, what i'm gonna say is i think i liked everything like you know from uh uh dr bashir uh yes <laughs> Another another Star Trek. Just start calling uh, him that now. Just start calling yeah. him that now. Forget um, his character's name. He's just Doctor Bashir from now yeah, on. He, uh, you know, I'm sorry. That, that character from Deep Space Nine is just one of my favorite characters of all time. So, you know, he's always that to me. Um, you know, even though in this context he's just a king. Uh, but, but like, you know, the, the main thing is, you know, him just kind of like telling his, you know, guard, you know, presumably one of his best warriors, like, be prepared to use that axe. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's bringing this like, oh, man, you know, like he is ready for fighting. You know, he, he has some sort of plan like there. It, it's just peppering in a hint that this Dornish storyline is going to be awesome. And, you know, even with uh, Tristan and Marcella, just like their relationship and how it's developed. And, you know, uh, it's it's definitely, dare I say, a cute scene between the two of them, yeah. um, you know, of just like their relationship and and young lovers, just what they're concerned about and, you know, how they're sort of wooing each other. And, you know, it, it definitely kind of like fits. It's like a nice pic picturesque moment. And then obviously Jamie and Braun come in. They got the blood on these uniforms that they're hiding in. And they're trying to have like a very reasonable conversation yeah. with Tristan and with Marcella. And Tristan is like spots the blood and Braun's like, don't do anything stupid. You know, the, nothing has to happen here. And all that stuff is cool. Like, I, I think, you know, just like them sneaking in, them trying to have a conversation with Marcella and even, you know, being brutally honest with Tristan, you know, what's going on, uh, that really makes for an awesome scene. And then it's like, enter the sand snakes and just it, somehow it implodes into the mess yeah. of a sequence. Just an absolute complete mess. And I'll tell you why for me, it also becomes a mess. It's just because of the fact that like, we really don't get anything from it. it, it, it the, the, they come in, the fight happens. The, you know the Doran's soldiers show up and arrest all of them, and then that's it. We don't get anything from it. We get one scene afterwards where the Sand Snakes are trying to torture Bronn in in, in the jail cell. Which oh yeah, is, um, yeah. That, that's probably next episode. Yeah, right? you have yeah. Marcella visiting and, and Marcella visiting with Jamie, and then you have like their 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 court trial scene, and then Doran just sends everybody home. Like I said, there's there's no payoff, there's no intrigue, there's nothing that comes from it. We don't even get like any more like action follow ups or anything. It, it just nothing happens. It's just this. I'm like, it, it just makes me wonder. It's like, wait, this was their whole plan? I'm like, this was not that great of a plan. I'm sorry. It's like you thought you were gonna take her in broad daylight. Obviously, yeah, Jamie and Bron kind of ended up accidentally stopping their plot, but uh, their plan. But it's like. Come on, yeah. Just the fact that it's like this, this plan ended up being so badly executed. It's like there had to have been some more thought that was put into this. Which again, it's like in the books, this is a very long, very complex, very drawn out thing. You know, like there are multiple different steps to it. You know, it's, yeah. it's revealed because somebody betrayed them. There's intrigue. There's suspense there. And here, it's just like, nope. One quick action scene that it's done with. 
and then we're just I, you know I, I think in terms of the action scene you know again it comes down to the the fantasy booking how how would we do it you know um and i think it's it's you know you have this scene where Braun and jamie show up they're trying to you know rescue marcella and you know they knock tristan down uh then the saiyan things come in and they they start having a battle but why not get to a point where you know they're about to stab marcella and you know Braun steps in and, and takes the cut on the arm and really disarms them and stops them and maybe even Braun and Jamie are about to kill one of them and then that's when uh you know uh, the troops come in and stop it like drop your weapons because now they've caught Jamie and Braun you know red-handed about to kill someone you know in the Dornish kingdom right. um and that you know can really lead to a dangerous situation and then you can have Braun, you know, obviously, since he took a bullet from Marcella, so to speak, you could have that whole storyline about him being poisoned and, you know, them being able to give the cure because, you know, they didn't intend to kill him. Uh, so they have really no incentive to let him die. And so, you know, and it also sets up the whole idea of the poison and the antidote and, you know, really for the later death of Marcella. So, you know, I think it's just like with a little bit of tweaking, a uh, little bit of changes to the storyline and, and what's going on. Uh, you know, this could have been a scene that, you know, you and I would have been really hyped about. Otherwise, like, you know, I guess it's not the worst scene I've ever seen in the show. But yeah, it's especially considering that it's like this is the one that had people freaking out and being like, no, and, and literally caused the creators to just drop the entire Doran storyline. I'm like, I'm sorry, this show and also just in other shows in general, there have been a lot worse scenes. And the only thing that I can really say in order to wrap up this episode is, man, Alaria Sand is no Ariane Martell. Because let me tell you something, Ariane Martell, there, there, she, she would have looked over this shit and just laughed her ass off. Because this is not at all how she carried out her plan in the books. Ariane Martell, of course, being uh, Doran Martell's eldest daughter and Tristane's sister that does not exist in the show in any capacity. So with that being said, that was our recap of the most controversial episode of Game of Thrones up to this point. Season 5, Episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Let us know your guys' thoughts in the comment section on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening to. And be sure to listen to every new episode of Talking Thrones that we have that goes up every single Friday from now all the way up until the Finale will be back next week with season five, episode seven, entitled The Gift. Pat, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Hey, listen, uh, basically Instagram at Patrick W. Huber. That's where I'm posting stuff. Uh, yeah, I have a couple things to post and I just got to, you know, get it, uh, open up my, uh, you know, photo app on my phone and, and get posting. But uh, yeah, I'm slowly starting to put things out there, just things that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, yes, uh, what is it? Follow and, and take a look when I actually uh, throw something on there. Indeed. And, of course, be sure to follow me at myself at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. And be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter feeds across all those platforms. Be sure to also click subscribe. Be sure to also subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels if you aren't already. And as always, people, 12 seasons of the short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next week.